The kingdom of God is all to do with relationships. God chose Israel, the smallest of nations, to be his special people. They were to be God's ambassadors to show what blessing God would bring to those who lived in awe of him, who loved him, and who obeyed his commands. In our Bible passage for this evening, on page 290, um, we're going to look at two very intense but quite different relationships. First, we're going to look at the deep, committed friendship between David and Jonathan. And then secondly, the festering jealousy of Saul towards David and its implications. We're going to try and unearth what makes for good, godly friendships and what dangers are there when we're out of sync with God and what do we do with any feelings of jealousy. So that's where we're going. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that yours is a living word and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you will take your word, make it alive to us and may we know that you have spoken to us. Take the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts to your glory. Amen. David was a man after God's own heart. God had already pinpointed him to succeed King Saul as king of Israel, and he'd been secretly anointed by Samuel for his future role as the leader of God's people. This was a time of waiting, and indeed of training. David was still young and inexperienced, but he had a heart for God and God's honor among the nations. So, as we recalled last week, when David hears the Philistine hero Goliath mock God's nation for their apparent powerlessness, and when he sees how the Israelite army tremble in fear, he takes action with zeal for God's honor, and with little thought for his own protection, he goes out with God's help, slays Goliath, and spurs the Israelite army into defeating their invaders. David's clarity of thought, his focus on God's honor, and his ability to motivate others into action were qualities of a potential leader, a God-fearing warrior king. Meanwhile, King Saul wants to find out more about him. If you look at chapter 17 and verse 55... Saul asks, whose son was this young man? He wanted to know what his pedigree was. He was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons, a shepherd lad on his father's farm in Bethlehem. He was a gifted musician and was sometimes called to the royal court to play his harp to help calm the king when he was in one of his angry rages. But King Saul had obviously never really taken much notice of him before. In chapter 16 and verse 12, we read that he was a handsome lad. And Saul, perhaps in a rash moment, 
had promised his elder daughter in marriage to the warrior who could defeat Goliath. Did David come from a noble family? Was he good enough for his daughter? How many parents have asked that? Um, Was he worthy to become the son-in-law and a member of the royal court? We read how David is summoned to an audience with the king. I wonder what he said. And who else was there? We don't know. Was Jonathan, the crown prince, there? Did he overhear David's conversation with his father and find himself identifying with David's passion for God's honour, something his father had long ignored? All we know is that Jonathan saw something in David that resulted in him really wanting to have a deep, committed friendship with this man. And I use the word friendship advisedly. Some have suggested that this was a homosexual relationship between David and Jonathan. But there is absolutely no evidence in Scripture to indicate that this was so. Rather, I think that such comments are a sad reflection of the over-sexualized society in which we live today, where any close um, same-sex friendships seem to be automatically labeled as gay. We all need to form deep, committed, same-sex friendships. And as Christians, we need to show the value of them. We all need good, godly friends, whether you're a man or a woman. And that doesn't devalue marriage. Rather, such friendships can help us to understand others better and actually enhance a good marriage. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're often, we're called, no, we're not often, we're always called to love God and one another. Here in church, we have the opportunity for real fellowship with people from different nationalities and from a range of backgrounds, and to both learn and show what it means to love our neighbors as well as ourselves. Jesus needed friends, close friends. He chose 12 men. And if Jesus needed close friends to understand his mission, to support and encourage him, so we do too. In general, I think women find it easier to develop friendships with other women more than men do with men. Maybe it's a gender difference, or we women have more opportunity to meet and to chat. So it's great that Holy Trinity has the curry club for men to socialize together, as well as having other gatherings for women. It's so good to have some same-sex prayer partners or prayer triplets. Yes, we've been thinking about Jesus being our friend, but we also need that friendship um, with one another, friends with whom we can pray, with whom we can be accountable as we seek to keep on track with God. 
Those first four verses in chapter 18 indicate that David spoke with Saul at some length. And it says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, loving him as he loved himself. Or to quote the literal translation, the soul of Jonathan was knitted to the soul of David. It was a meeting of mind and soul, a close, committed friendship. David and Jonathan expressed their commitment to one another by forming a covenant. A covenant is an agreement based on a promise. Originally, in Old Testament history, they took an animal, and the animal was physically cut up. And the two halves were divided, and the two people who were making a covenant walked between the pieces, saying, in effect, that if either of them broke that covenant, let what has happened to this animal happen to me. So a covenant is a solemn promise where the penalties for breaking it are severe. It's the strongest pledge of loyalty and commitment. And it was, De- it was Jonathan that instigated it, and in doing so, he aligned himself completely with David, calling for the destruction of all David's enemies, even if that also involved his father Saul. Notice in verse 4 that Jonathan also gives David his robes, the robes of a crown prince, symbolizing the fact that the throne was going to pass to David as God had decreed. He even gave David his sword. Jonathan was no mamby-pamby. he had already proved himself that he was a great soldier. And you'll see that in 1 Samuel chapter 14, where he fought single-handedly against the Philistine invaders. A bit like his father, he tended to do things off the cuff, and that was one of the instances. You can look at it later. But humanly speaking, it was a costly commitment for Jonathan to give up his rights for the sake of his friend. Commitment in friendship is often costly and sacrificial. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And that's just what Jesus did for us. And Jesus went on to say to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. Obviously, there are different levels of friendship, and we can't have that deep committed friendship with everyone. However, it is important that we have some deep friendships. And we have to remember that they are not built in a day. They take time and they grow over many years through mutual trust and love and prayer. 
So I want you to think just for a moment, who are the people you are deeply committed to in friendship? Who do you trust? I'm not asking you about the number of friends you may have on Facebook. They certainly are not deep, committed friends. There are a lot of them are just contacts. But I'm talking here of deep, open, committed friendships where you can share your pain as well as your joys. May I suggest that you ask the Lord to help you form these friendships and guide you in this area of your life. Now let's turn our attention to Saul and his relationship with David. Again, looking back in 1 Samuel 14, 52, it says, All the days of Saul there was bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or a brave man, he took him into his service. Sounds like a good thing to me. So following his outstanding performance, David is taken into the royal court and he's no longer allowed to go back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep. And in verse 2 there, it says, from that day Saul kept David with him. He kept him at his side. He held on to him, thinking, hmm, he might be useful. But this particular honour turned out to be very much a two-edged sword. However, whatever Saul sent David to do, he did successfully. So much so that Saul gives him a high rank in the army. If you're fearful of your position, it's good to have the army on your side too. David becomes very popular, not only with the people, but with the serving officers too, we see in verse 5. But there's no mention of Saul's satisfaction with David's activities. So was Saul using David for his own ends? Possibly. How different this relationship was to the self-sacrificing friendship David had with Jonathan, his son. We can't argue from silence. So let's read on to see what was most likely to have been going on in Saul's mind. Verse 6. As the women joyfully greet their returning army with traditional singing and dancing, they sing this phrase, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Which, within the normal conventions of Hebrew poetry, was just saying both Saul and David have slayed thousands. They did that sort of comparison thing, but it, it didn't mean that David was much better than Saul. However, Saul's insecurity makes him read their intentions incorrectly. He takes offense at their song and is consequently very angry indeed. 
He further nurse, nurses his resentment, and this continues to fuel his insecurity and his jealousy. You may remember that Saul was the first king of Israel. He became king at the age of 30, 1 Samuel 13, and reigned over Israel for 42 years. However, early on in his reign, he very publicly disobeyed the Lord's command by taking on the priestly duties of Samuel. We read that in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 9. As a result, he was told then that the royal line through him wouldn't continue and that the Lord had appointed another man to succeed him who was a man after God's own heart, who would obey the Lord's commands. We also read in 1 Samuel 21 verse 11 that the Philistines, aware of David's enormous success and popularity, took up this refrain, and the women said, isn't this David, king of Israel? Consequently, we see Saul keeping a jealous eye on David, verse 9. In Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, he rightly lists jealousy as one of the acts of the sinful nature. Jealousy is the suspicion or the fear of being supplanted in favor of another. It creeps into our minds so easily, doesn't it? It alters our behavior to the extent that friends or colleagues can quickly become rivals in your mind. And we watch out for any sign of advantage that the other may have. The awful fact here was that due to his earlier disobedience, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and that his disobedience continued to be punished by assaults of an evil spirit. It was a spirit that God allowed, but this spirit could only work in certain, um, among certain parameters. While under influence of this evil spirit, we see an escalation of Saul's jealousy displayed in a sudden violent assault on David. While David plays his harp to calm the king, as he usually did, Saul hurls his spear at him with the intention to kill him, verse 11. The reality was, verse 12, that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left him. What a sad state of affairs. I can only surmise that Saul remembered Samuel's prediction and that this fired his jealousy. The trouble with jealousy in adults is that it can smolder inside us. Children aren't like that. When children are small and one wants the toy that the other one's got, the child wanting the toy will snatch it openly and say, I want it, or that's mine. But as we grow older, however, feelings of jealousy become far more hidden 
though nonetheless real, leading to very negative behavior. Saul's increasing tendencies to despondency, to jealousy, to, to violence, were no doubt brought about by his knowledge of his rejection by God as king. And we read in verse 12, he became more and more afraid of David. Verse 13, he sends David away, apparently hoping David would be killed in battle. But, verse 14, in everything he did, David had great success because the Lord was with him. And this resulted in David gaining even greater acclaim. And verse 15, when Saul saw how successful David was, he was afraid of him. This vicious cycle of anger, of fear, of jealousy and violence was something that David was going to have to endure for many years. And even when years later, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, he refused to do so because Saul was God's anointed one. Such was David's character. He lived in awe of God and honored the Lord's anointed, even though he wasn't worthy of it. So what can we learn as followers of Jesus about dealing with jealousy and living lives that honor God? Let's be honest with ourselves. Are you jealous when someone appears to get more attention than you? Or are you jealous when you think that somebody else is more attractive or gifted than you? The first thing to do is to recognize its damaging effect. Jealousy will hinder your spiritual growth because it is a reflection of sin which always alienates us from God and from each other. So recognize its damaging effect. Secondly, we need to repent of any jealous thoughts that we might have and ask the Lord to root it out of our lives. Thirdly, we need to ask the Lord to fill us again with his spirit and to help us to live by his spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to pervade and direct our lives in a way that will not allow us to harbor resentments or jealousies and envious thoughts. We have to recognize that we are responsible for our words and our actions and the consequences of them. So how then are we as Christians to be different? If we go back to Paul in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 23, instead of hatred, we are called to love even our enemies. Instead of jealousy, we should do acts of kindness. That's what makes a difference. Not only to the person that you might be jealous of, but certainly in your own heart. Instead of fits of rage, we should exercise self-control 
and be patient and gentle. That one moment of arrow prayer, Lord, help me to say the right thing. And instead of selfish ambition, we're called to goodness and faithfulness. It's such a tall order, isn't it? How on earth are we to do this? My first suggestion is to begin by developing an attitude of gratitude. Thank the Lord that you are his child, chosen and precious to him. Jealousy can often arise because we have a poor self-image. And we need to know who we are in God's sight. So I'm going to actually ask you, as I suggest these different things, and I'm going to pause, and I'm going to suggest that you just turn it into prayer. So first of all, thank the Lord that you are his child, chosen and precious to him. Thank the Lord for your strengths, your God-given talents and abilities. And ask the Holy Spirit how he'd like you to use these talents and abilities. And say several times a day, God made me, God loves me, God wants me. God made me. God loves me. God wants me. Say it with me. God made me. God loves me. God wants me. I think you might find that makes a difference. So this evening we've considered the friendship between Jonathan and David. Let's ask the Lord to help us develop a number of deep, committed Christian friendships so that we are built up in the faith and honour God in our lives. Secondly, we looked at the festering jealousy of Saul towards David. Let's recognise the damaging effect of jealousy and ask God to root it from our lives. And let's live as God's chosen and precious children and walk with his spirit within us so that our whole focus and our desire is to please God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for each one of us. 
thank you for the friendships that you made and were a support to you. Help us to find and to develop those deep friendships with other Christian friends so that we may be able to live to your glory. And Lord, you know how easily we're tempted to be envious or jealous or resentful. And we pray that starting from today, you will root those things out from us and that you will give us a love for others as you have loved us. To the glory of your name. Amen.